is Bloomberg Surveillance. We don't feel that we're necessarily on the cusp of a recession. Business is okay and pretty good in some places. Because the Fed's kept rates down here at zero for so long, it's distorting how people finance themselves. What happens in the market is it only looks at the positives and it interprets everything positively as long as it can, and then it gives up the ghost and it flips 180. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. Bloomberg Surveillance worldwide, indeed nationwide, on Bloomberg 1200 Boston. Bloomberg 1130 New York, home of the New York Mets. Bloomberg 99.1 FM, Washington and Baltimore. Good morning. Baltimore Orioles ascendant. That according to Mindy Masucci, Ace Orioles uh, viewpoint here at Bloomberg. Uh, and, of course, Bloomberg 960, the Bay Area as well. San Francisco. I have no clue what the Giants are doing. I've got to get this smarter This is an even that. year. Giants have won the World Series the last three even years. So oh. uh, there is some thought that. Just that coincidence alone, uh, aside from the fact that they have some right. players, might uh, might push them forward. We're going to talk to the Clayton Kershaw of Equity Investments, Douglas Cass, to join us here uh, momentarily. Uh, Bloomberg Surveillance, brought to you by Cone Resnick Accounting Tax Advisory. To minimize risk and capture value in private equity, you need Cone Resnick, where forward thinking creates results. Find out how at ConeResnick.com, C-O-H-N. R-E-Z-N-I-C-K. It's gorgeous February morning. The sun is up. It's staying up longer. It's a good time to speak to Douglas Cass of Seabreeze. Doug, good morning. Pitchers and catches last week. Yes. I know. It, it's like a good thing in, in um, um, America. Um, let's frame Doug right now within pitchers and catchers. Obviously, L.A. is spending more money than anyone. That's the one-way bet in baseball. Where's the one-way bet you are afeard of right now in the equity markets? Uh, I would. Um, I think we're in a, in, a, in a very difficult and confusing uh, period. Um, I mentioned to you in a memo to you and Lee, the producer, that um, I was at a James Taylor concert of all places at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago house in Palm Beach on Saturday night, and he was. He was singing uh, Fire and Rain, and it evoked to me the, um, uh, obviously, the Robert Frost poem, Fire and Rain, which uh, discusses the familiar question about the fate of the world, whether it's more likely to be destroyed by fire or ice. But I got back to a famous memo that our mutual friend, Bart, the late Barton Biggs, wrote of called Fire mm-hmm. and Ice in 1997. I think it's time to fear the ice. We are in a period of substandard economic and tepid profit growth, and that's our destination. Um, we have a, an, a broken market mechanism, which is dominated by leveraged ETFs and by these machines and algos who are agnostic to balance sheets, private market value, and income statements. So we get this market with no, what I call no memory from day to day. Um, these um, investment strategies of mass destruction tend to exaggerate short-term market moves like we've experienced um, in January right. to the downside, upside, and now today to the upside. So I'm, I'm basically fearful that we're in um, – um, you know, we had this upward reevaluation of multiples uh, between 09 and 215, and I think that the recent re-rating of stocks lower seems to reflect the recognition that profits, too, will be lower for longer. The critics, Doug, will say you go short, you go long, you move in and out. Tell us where you are right now 
and what it would suffice, frankly, folks, that's the last line of the Robert Frost poem, and what would suffice to bring you forward to a new direction? Um, I would be more optimistic if I had a sense that the uh, secular deterioration and growth prospects um, um, uh, morphed into a more rapid period of economic growth, that our dependency upon uh, monetary policymakers, our central bankers, to stimulate um, self-sustaining growth and escape velocity, velocity uh, um, mm-hmm. was successful. And I just don't see it. So I, I am a modestly bullish near term, but I'm bearish into media term. I expect the S&P to decline to a low double-digit percentage this year. Uh, I'm currently, to answer your question, positioned only slightly net short, preferring to see um, a more rapid buildup in optimistic investor sentiment before expanding my net sh- short exposure. It's interesting to note that a bunch of the investor um, surveys came out, and market vein bulls remain at very low levels. The consensus in, in, um, uh, of, um, of uh, bears uh, actually um, rose uh, last week, which is bullish for the market as a contrarian. Would it be better? So I think everybody can agree we're not going to see the fiscal policy action that the world is calling for. So would it be better if central banks just sort of shut up and got the heck out of the way? Uh, because so many yeah, I think I think Mike, it would have been much better if we did this a year ago. If, first of all, if they stopped easing a year ago, and um, um, and basically let the let the market have have natural price discovery, as opposed to this artificiality and um, you know machines that are um, 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 and algorithms which are moved. Uh, by the next announcement with regard to Draghi or the intention to stay lower for longer. It's just not a natural sequence of events. And I think that this whole thing has led up. I think the recent market weakness reflects the loss of confidence in our central bankers and concerns that monetary policy in the U.S. has lost its effectiveness and or has pulled forward corporate sales and profits mm. and economic activity. I call this the aha moment. It's uh, it's not a market-friendly moment for valuations. How do you filter out the noise, then? Um, as Richard Bernstein, he wrote a great book called Navigating the Noise. Which yes, I he did. Really, yeah. Which I really recommend. I, it, it's tough. I just think it's where it's really tough, Mike and Tom, is for the buy-and-hold crowd. It's easy for the traders if you yes. approach the market in a kind of emotionalist way, buying uh, the extreme dips, selling or shorting the extreme bouts of euphoria, and we've seen four or five of those of consequence uh, in the year. So I, I think the odds of a recession are mounting, but I want to add an important point. I think that was made on Bloomberg um, on surveillance last week. It's important to note that a precondition for a bear market is not necessarily a recession. Bear markets can occur even if the U.S. fails to fall into recession. It happened in 1962, <clears throat> yeah. 66, and 87, and, and, 1890, and 1998. I used to work with a guy when I was at Putnam when I graduated Wharton called Wally Deemer, um, who was a fantastic, a legendary technical analyst. And he once said, you don't buy GDP futures, you buy S&P futures. Yeah. 
that's extremely uh, well said, Doug. I, I, I saw the Martian uh, uh, the other day. It, it really, uh, really, really, I thought was an excellent effort. And as, as Matt Damon says in the middle of the movie, "Let's science this." You are known for being an adult about sciencing your belief. What's Doug Cass's science right now? My science is to be is to be um, basically to reduce gross exposure in an uncertain, uh, volatile, and unpredictable period. Uh, there are times to play and there's times, as Warren Buffett says, to, you know, to have your hands on, you know, um, quietly. Why is this so hard? Uh, uh, reminiscence I, of a stock hard, up. It's hard because of the aforementioned <clears throat> discussion of these um, um, weapons of uh, financial market destruction, the leverage ETFs. And um, the quant strategies, uh, gamma hedging, risk parity trading, uh, that that worship at the altar of price momentum, uh, they 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 tend to exaggerate short-term market moves, right. confuse investors, they send false market messages. And importantly, they blemish the value of stock charts and technical analysis. Okay, I'll go with all that, and you've nailed it. But I, I, what I want to know for traders, and this is not what we do in surveillance a lot. We do more long-term investment. But, Mr. Cass, what I want to know is in the middle of reminiscence of a stock operator, like, you know, you're the only one still alive who was there when the book is written. But there's Correct. a point where the guy just says, I'm going to Florida. Where, oh, where, I'm in Florida. I know, but he pulling, but pulling but away also, from the market. But I'm also trading actively. <clears throat> yeah, I'm but there's to, a point. I'm, I'm trying to capture Alpha by exploiting, as I said, in an unemotional way, the gyrations of the market, which are random and are unpredictable. Are you close? Really tough, but and Doug, most people aren't facile enough, and they should just sit on their hands. Are, are you at a point where it's so uncertain or convoluted, or the epsilon so high? That you just say, I can't do this, and you sit off to the sidelines for a while. I think that's the best strategy for the average investor. Doug it's boring. No. It's boring. You'll have a lot of uh, <clears throat> you'll have a lot of silence on market okay. surveillance. <laughs> no, no, we don't want that. We don't want that. But I think it's important advice. We're going to come back with Doug Cass on all the rage right now: financial engineering. Which is out there, use of cash, and you know some of what the activists are doing here recently. But I really want to talk to him about financial engineering. Mario Gabelli says, "Give me back the money." Thank you. A lot of other people say there should be this moral high ground of using it for other sources like investment. <coughs> Maybe actually creates jobs as well. We'll return with Doug Cass of Seabreeze Investment. Futures up 22. Dow futures up 184. Let's check in with John Tucker and get the latest world and national news. Well, Michael and Tom with Jeb Bush's departure from the presidential race on Saturday. Fundraisers are facing the question, pick another side or retreat. Most Bush loyalists contacted Sunday said they were preparing to support Marco Rubio or no one in particular. Apple CEO Tim Cook has jumped back into the fray over FBI demands that the company Help hack a locked iPhone used by the shooter in a San Bernardino attack. In an early morning email to employees, Cook says the government should withdraw its demand. The emerging legal fight has sparked a debate on government power, privacy, digital rights, public safety, and security. An empty chair draped in black is greeting Supreme Court justices meeting today for the first time since the death of Justice Antonin Scalia. The remaining eight justices resume work today. Scalia's chair will remain as a tribute until next month. Global News. 
news 24 hours a day, powered by a 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm John Tucker, Michael and Tom. John, thanks so much. Coming up on Use of Cash, Doug Cass. Really looking forward to that. Next, Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. The news update was brought to you by Fairleigh Dickinson University. Boost your career by getting CFP certified at FDU, named one of the great schools for financial planning. Classes begin February 23rd and 24th. Visit fdu.edu slash fp. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures higher. So is oil. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. Futures are maintaining their gains since the last time we spoke. Dow futures higher by 176 points. Sesame's gained 21 and Nasdaq futures rise by 48. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.77%. Main U.P. markets are higher, led by 2% gains in Italy and Spain. And on the U.S. economic front, at 8.30, Chicago Fed. And at 9.45, market U.S. manufacturer PMI. Estimate there, 52.5. In other news, CDC says lumber liquidators flooring has increased cancer risk. Shares are down 16% pre-market. And in deal news, food distributor Cisco to buy Brakes Group from Bain for $3.1 billion. Regarding earnings this morning, Allegan EPS beat. And finally, some of your key Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. At Bank of America, Genesee and Wyoming raised to neutral. CSX and Union Pacific raised to buy. Express Scripts cut to sell at Deutsche Bank. Parago cut to sell at Goldman Sachs. And finally, TripAdvisor and Expedia both cut to sell over at Stiefel. Live from the first of Breaking News Desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K-Go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, Karen, uh, thanks so much. Curve flattening. We've seen the 210 spread come in nicely uh, this morning, 9995 uh, a flatter uh, yield curve all in all. That's the distance between the 10-year yield and the 2-year yield. You move the decimal point over two places. Doug Cass knows that. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Invesco. Factor-based strategies can help investors focus on high quality, low volatility, and more. Learn more at Invesco.com slash high conviction. Douglas Cass with us with Seabreeze as we... uh uh, go through the emotions of being more active uh, in the market. Away from activity, uh, Doug, is a quarterly ballet of financial engineering. It has become canon that you raise your dividend, you deploy cash, you, de- you uh, buy back shares, etc. Are you a critic of financial engineering, or is it a good idea that they're moving money back to shareholders? Well, I, I disagree with Mario because there ain't many Henry Singletons from Teledyne around anymore. There are a lot of people like Caterpillar that buys their stock at $105 a share. I think they bought 11% of the stock a year and a half ago. I've been short for that period. And the shares have gone from 106 to 61. I think there's the broader question, the broader issue is that the risks and the unintended consequences of ever lower interest rates are rising. The primary issue is that capital spending Capital spending has been abandoned in favor of uh, financial engineering. But there are other issues, too. You know, the risk of savings ourselves into a recession is expanding. You know, they call that the paradox of thrift. And um, when you get low rates like this, people are hoarding cash, 
and reducing their personal consumption expenditures. Um, and finally, as uh, Brad Hinton <clears throat> talked about earlier in an earlier segment, when you have rates so low, with 60% of the world's uh, sovereign yields in uh, negative territory, bank net interest margins and profitability suffer. They become challenged, yeah. and lending is curtailed. So, you know, we're in a tough stew, um, as James Taylor said in Steamroller. We're in a demolition derby, Well, a hefty uh, hunk of steaming junk. Mike, uh, what we like to do is, is have the hefty uh, hunk of steaming junk Doug Cass on because he knows his history. <laughs> um, Henry Singleton who you just heard Mr. Cass speak of, is not only one of the heroes of American finance, but a giant of engineering. He was at Annapolis, first in his class, had to leave, went to MIT, reinvented himself, and then did the oddest of things, Mike. He bought shares when the stock was cheap and issued them to the public when the shares were expensive. Is this, this is a rare and beautiful thing. And then, and then when rates, interest rates declined, he issued an enormous amount of uh, yeah. uh, bonds in order to buy back stock in the future. Just a, just a brilliant guy. I mean, he became yeah. a billionaire when a billion dollars really made, meant something. What, what you, Mike, what you see today to is <laughs> no, but what you see today yeah. was invented by Mr. Singleton. There was no other way to put it. A teledyne. Omega's Lee Cooperman has done a, a great job. In fact, he's, he's taught courses at Columbia Business School talking about Singleton's allocation of capital strategy. Yeah. Everyone should get a hands on their hands on it. Yeah. By the way, Tom, I notice you don't talk about the Red Sox anymore. God, you talk no. about the Dodgers. You talk yeah, about the Giants. I talk about no, the Pittsburgh Penguins. foreshadowing of things to come? It is. Well, you remember place. last year, Doug, he said in the beginning of April that the Red Sox were done for the year, and he actually turned out to be right, so he thinks he's a baseball prognosticator now. Uh, <laughs> a, lot of people, a lot of people would suggest maybe this year the Red Sox are going to play a little better. Uh, I didn't really no Angels play worse. Way this year? Oh, uh, no. It's, it's like, Mike, save me here, please. <laughs> Bowden, could you get my we medications, wandered, please? We've wandered off the reservation, so let's just ask Doug as you keep an eye out on uh, uh, on the National League in particular. Um, the, your uncle had uh, sort of a soft spot for the New York cousin, National League cousin. team. Your cousin. And, and, the, uh, uh, and the Los Angeles team. Uh, do you have a view on either one of their... Um, Performances coming up in 2016. I think the Dodgers could go undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Warriors, the right? <laughs> you know, you know. At this concert Saturday night, I know we're running out of time. James Taylor sang "Angels of Fenway," and I love the opening line, which is a killer to you, Tom. Eighty-six summers gone by. Bambino put a hex on the bean. We were living on a tear and a sigh in the shadow of the Bronx machine. Ooh. That's hateful. Hateful. Can, can our global technical director cut the line right now? Is that, that, is that feasible? Did you see the, uh, the, the, the Yankees have the by far the highest season ticket price in all of baseball. Yeah. And um, yeah. the baseball they're playing does not justify it. Really. Doug Cash, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Seabreeze uh, Partners is we, we go, go down and, like, and, I, I do, and catch I some spring training games. Yeah, we can lead Cass. He can guest host with us for like the it's five the, or six days it'll need for us to... Visit every park. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think anybody's listening that could affect that transaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, our boss is saying, are you out of your mind? <laughs> <At this point. laughs> okay. Uh, Future's up 20.
Dow Futures up 171. It's a very nice correlated screen with one screaming exception. And that is curve flattening, two ten spread, ninety nine point seven. The difference in yield between the ten year and the two year, point nine nine seven uh, points. That's a big deal. Curve flattening is something different this morning. Economic data next. Bloomberg surveillance. Coming up, the with all due respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverTriState.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover Above and Beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, it is 8.30. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene, and our economic indicators are brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. No major indicators today. The Chicago Fed National Activity Index is out at 0.28. That's up from a negative 0.34 in December and is much better than the survey of a negative 0.10. Not sure how much it tells us about what's actually going on in the market. U.S. manufacturing PMI due out later this morning. Mark Zandi is with us now. And, of course, uh, Mark is chief economist at uh, Moody's Analytics, and he keeps track of all things going on around the world, which makes him the perfect person to follow Doug Cass, who suggested that we may have about a 35% chance of recession and is uh, extremely worried about uh, the stagnant economic growth prospects for the world and what central banks are or are not doing about it. Mark, uh, would you share the pessimism or at least the lack of optimism about where we are going over the next six months to a year? Well, I'd be I'd be a bit more optimistic. I, you know, subjectively put the odds of recession in the United States at somewhere between 15 and 20 percent. You know, globally, there's uh, more concern, uh, and I, I would concur with uh, some of the worries about what's going on overseas. But here in the U.S., I, I think we're we're fine. We're in okay shape. Well, are we able to be an island? Can we continue to grow if the rest of the world is having trouble? Yeah, I think we're the engine of growth. We're driving the train now, and it's really the American consumer that's driving the train, and the American consumer is doing their part. Uh, growth last year was very strong. Real consumer spending growth was uh, over 3%. And as we've been seeing in the recent data, retail sales, vehicle sales, uh, housing activity, I think the consumer is going to continue to do their part. You know, Tom, this reminds me of, um, what was it about a decade ago? I remember a book came out called Flying on One Engine. As an ancient tome. It immediately went to the bargain bin. At, uh, <laughs> you can get remaindered copies. Tom, Tom Keene put that together. Um, a look at how the United States was the only engine of growth. Well, there's another engine. Europe is okay, too. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's not gangbusters in Europe, but uh, they are growing solidly. And, uh, you know, I think uh, everything suggests that they'll continue to push forward. So it's not just the U.S., but... But, you know, your sentiment is correct. Uh, the, the global economy is, is troubled. 
Uh, Mark, I, I want to go back a little bit within your optimism and, and your immense chops and the books that you've done on the new American century and such. What happened in the last two years? You were a great optimist, not an outlier, but but you were looking for 3% plus real GDP growth. You even voiced, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you voiced a 4% real, maybe 6% nominal. It didn't happen. I'm, I'm fascinated. What's your why for what we've experienced yeah, good question. Well, you know, it, interestingly enough, the job market's done better than I would have thought. We yes, produced, yes. We, we produced more jobs. Uh, unemployment fell faster. We've gotten back to full employment or close to pretty quickly. Wage growth is picking up. So if you look at the economy through the, the prism of the labor market, uh, no problem. You know, we're doing very, very well. So the, you know, the uh, the arithmetic uh, suggests that the reason that uh, that I'm, I was wrong about GDP is productivity. Productivity growth has been right. very weak and it has not picked up. And, okay. you know, that goes to, you know, some pretty deep questions as to what's going on well, there. My, my sense is that. We will see productivity growth pick up, but uh, that's still very much a forecast. I I knew you would go there, and if you tear apart capital dynamics, labor dynamics, in this strange thing, total factor productivity, which is it? Which did we miss on? Well, uh, you know, I think it's all of the above. Uh, You know, my sense is – here, I'll give you a statistic – when we look at productivity, it's the, the top line number is non-farm business productivity. And since the recovery began six and a half years ago, that's grown just under 1% per annum uh, over the period. Just for context, uh, we've, uh, that non-farm business productivity grows, has grown 2% per annum on average since World War II. So that's, you know, half the growth, less than half the growth. But if you look at non-financial corporate productivity, so think about that for a second, non-financial, so exclude the financial sector and the non-corporate sector, uh, productivity growth has been 1.7% per annum during the recovery. That's that's what I would expect, 1.7%. So what's going on? I think it boils down to – there's lots of reasons, but I think the key reason is uh, what the financial sector has been going through post-crisis because of the crisis and because of the change in the regulatory environment. I think that's the key weight on productivity. Can you tell – um, we were talking about this with Brad Hintz about how the financial sector has been hurting. Can you tell whether the troubles in the financial sector, in the you know corporate treasurer's office, uh, in the uh, chief financial officer's uh, office, are affecting the economy? Yeah, I mean, the financial system is like the uh, circulatory system of the real economy, right? I mean, that's credit flows uh, are key to growth, to innovation, change, business formation, you know, all those key dynamics that are vital to productivity growth. So, yeah, I think if the financial sector is impaired or adjusting, in a sense, you know, know, the banks or big banks have gone from – have had to significantly increase the amount of capital they hold. And I'm not arguing that's a bad thing. Uh, I mean, our banking system is now a fortress, but – uh, you know, there is a cost to that, and I think uh, it's been born yeah. in productivity growth. We'd like to get you on more as we wander through and into the summer. Mark Zandi uh, with his Moody's Analytics, and uh, really look forward to talking to him um, through the rest of, of the year. His title, U.S. Macro Outlook, No Recession, he minces no words about it uh, with with optimism as is, is, is well. Um, we're going to come back. Let me do a data check. Michael McKee and I are sorting out the Monday morning here. Uh, futures up 20, Dow futures up 175. The euro 110, uh, 26 is a weaker euro with dollar uh, strength. Um, sterling is, is sterling is really uh, headline 140.95. Sterling 140. 
95 is weaker uh, this morning. This hour of surveillance is brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhiteplains.com. Here's John Tucker with headlines. All right, Michael and Tom, after predicting he could pull off a political upset in Nevada at more than a week before potential wins on Super Tuesday, Bernie Sanders is assuring supporters he is working hard to close the gap in Saturday's primary in South Carolina. No polls in South Carolina have shown Sanders closer than 18 points down from Hillary Clinton. Apple resisting a court order requiring the company to help unlock the iPhone of a dead terrorist says the U.S. Congress should form a committee to discuss privacy and personal freedoms. Apple would gladly take part in such an effort, the company saying in a statement on its website today. The U.S. Auto Safety Regulator says it's investigating all Takata Corporation airbag inflators that use a chemical propellant banned from future models and will compile data to determine whether to expand the industry's broadest recall ever. Syria's main political opposition will meet today to discuss a proposed ceasefire whose potential for even limited success has been undercut by a spike in violence claimed by Islamic State. And the head of the U.N. nuclear agency says another 11 nations need to step up to make the world a safer place from the threat of nuclear material falling into the hands of terrorists. That's a number of countries needed to sign on to the amendment to the Convention on the Physical Protection of Nuclear Material. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm John Tucker. Michael and Tom. Thank you, John. Time now for the Ray Katina Auto Group Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. Here's Rob Bush. Good morning, Mike and Tom. The Rangers thrilled the fans at Madison Square Garden as two of the marquee goaltenders squared off. The Red Wings' Jimmy Howard had 29 saves to Henrik Lundqvist's 22. But it was a defenseman of all people. Kevin Klein, who netted the game winner, won nothing in overtime. It's it's a different game, obviously, and we don't practice it, really, so it's 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 tough. And you just have to make sure when they've got the puck defensively, you're on the right side of your guys because, you know, a two-on-one like that can, can turn into a two-on, you know, the other way. So it's difficult you try and you know just make the most of your opportunities when you get a chance it was klein's fifth goal of the year as the rangers are just one point behind florida for the second seed in the east they visit new jersey on tuesday the isles also play tuesday in minnesota to basketball the nets fell to 11 and 22 at home with a 104 96 loss to charlotte brooke lopez who led the way with a double double wanted this one bad as the team gears up for a nine game road trip we, we had a great concentration in certain parts of the game tonight and uh we need to come with that as much as possible you know we we're definitely gonna have to stick together obviously being on the road so long and and, uh, just take it a game at a time. The Nets won't return to Brooklyn until March 13th. Knicks entertain the Raptors at 7.30. Jimmer Fredette, he'll join the team on a 10-day contract. College Hoops, St. John wiped out a 19-point deficit at home, but Isaiah Whitehead hit two game-winning free throws as Seton Hall beat the Red Storm 62-61. And NASCAR, Denny Hamlin won the closest finish ever at the Daytona 500. And that is your NBC Bloomberg Sports Update. Mike, Tom? Hey, Rob Bushka, thank you so much. Again, sure to the market, I'm noticing curve flattening as well. Coming up, we're going to continue. Continue our discussion with Mark Zandi of Moody's on a most interesting American economy. If you go Y equals C plus I plus G plus NX, you can talk about any parts of that equation. I'm most interested in Mark Zandi on what it will take to get investment going. From New York, this Monday, Bloomberg Surveillance. 
The Sports Report was brought to you by Ray Katina Auto Group. Everyone deserves to drive a Mercedes-Benz from Ray Katina. Make it happen at Ray Katina Motor Car in Edison. Ray Katina of Union and the new Ray Katina of Freehold. Or go to RayKatina.com. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit sectorspdrs.com or call 186-SECTOR-ETF. We are watching oil. Oil is rising with global equities amid speculation that a production freeze by some OPEC members in Russia could eventually help to abate the surplus. NYMEX crude oil is currently up 6.3%. It's been extending its gains throughout the morning. It's up a dollar eighty-seven to thirty-one dollars fifty-one cents a barrel. Brent is up five point two percent, or a dollar seventy-four to thirty-four seventy-five a barrel. U.S. stock index futures higher as well. S&P E-mini futures up twenty-one points. Dow E-mini futures up one hundred eighty-five, and Nasdaq E-mini futures up about forty-six. DAX in Germany is up one point nine percent. Ten-year Treasury down five thirty seconds. The yield one point seven six percent. COMEX Gold is down one point six percent, or nineteen dollars to twelve eleven eighty an ounce. The euro, $1.1020. The yen, 113.17. Dean Foods, the largest U.S. milk processor, posting fourth quarter profit that beat analyst estimates after it paid less for dairy supplies. Its shares up almost 4% this morning, and Allergan also beat. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Again, I'm looking at curve flattening today within a a better risk-on feel. Uh, again, West Texas up $1.91 gets your attention. Mark Zandi uh, with us with Moody Anal- Analytics as um, we uh, continue forward. Right now, though, it is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Clive Crook, a columnist for Bloomberg View. How to account for the success of Donald Trump? Part of the answer is class. I'm a British immigrant and I grew up in a northern working class town. Moving to Oxford and then London in the 1970s, I learned something about snobbery. But I never witnessed the naked disdain for the working class that America's metropolitan elite finds permissible in 2016. The targets of this disdain understand they're seen as bigots, too stupid to know what's good for them. They don't like being looked down on, and many of them are supporting Trump. Trump is outrageous, and that's the point. This isn't about policies or promises. He delights in offending the people who look down on his fans. The more he offends those people, the better his supporters like it. Supporting Trump is an act of class protest, not just over hard time, the effect of immigration on wages, or the depredations of Wall Street. It's also, and perhaps most of all, over lack of respect. That's something no American will stand for. I'm Clive Crook, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg opinion and commentary, please go to BloombergView.com or ViewGo on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Michael? Let's bring back Mark Zandi now, Chief Economist at Moody's Analytics. Uh, we're talking about the global economy and how the U.S. is sort of the engine of the growth. And I want to get at that a little bit, Mark, and uh, talk about why you think that will continue. We had a very rough fourth quarter. Are you in the camp that suggests that was maybe an inventory correction and that we are back to, if not a great level of growth, the plotting level that we've experienced the last couple of years? 
Yeah, and, and the fourth quarter was bad in terms of GDP. It wasn't bad in terms of jobs. In fact, it was fantastic in terms of job growth, and that's what's most important because uh, at this pace of job growth, we're fast approaching full employment, which we're months away from, and that means stronger wage growth, and stronger wage growth is the fodder for consumer spending, and that's the engine for global economic growth. So, you know, as long as the uh, uh, American companies continue to hire uh, and uh, payrolls continue to expand, we'll be fine. And every indication is that they will. Uh, you know, we, the unemployment insurance claims are very low. They remain very, very low. And the most encouraging thing most recently is that the number of people quitting their jobs has skyrocketed, which, you know, people don't do that unless they feel pretty comfortable that they're going to find another one. So, you know, as long as the labor market hangs together, we'll be fine. Well, Mike, jump in here on this. You're better on the JOLT survey and all that. But this was a source of conversation at least three times this weekend as people really have shifted, Mike, on the enthusiasm to exit the job. Well, the the quit rate certainly went up. And, uh, you know, hiring, in theory, will continue as long as demand is strong. And we saw reasonably good retail sales for the prior month. I just wonder, Mark, what you hear from companies and uh, what you think the possibility is that with the volatility in markets and uncertainty out there, and certainly with the crazy turns the presidential campaign has taken, whether we will see CEOs just put things on hold as they did in previous years when we had these black swans come out, uh, uh, Greece and other things. Well, I think I, clearly they're nervous. You know, I, I, in my business, I talk to a lot of uh, senior management uh, CEOs, CFOs, and you know they're focused on their stock price. And with the decline in stock values, it, it makes them uh, anxious. And it's more in stock prices, there's volatility across all financial markets globally. So there's no doubt about that. Uh, but at least to this point, uh, uh, you know, there's no indication, sign that they've actually called up their human resource head and said, you know, stop hiring, or certainly no one's saying laying off people. That hasn't happened. Uh, investment spending has been on the soft side, but, it's, but, you know, that's mostly energy, if you exclude energy. Yeah, well, that's energy. where I want to go. Where, where is it X energy? Uh, you know, it's, it's fine. It's, you know, here, I'll give you another statistic, Tom. You know, in this recovery, uh, investment spending real, all in, you know, this whole shoot and match that businesses invest in is 4.8% per annum. That's that's pretty good. I mean, in the last expansion a decade ago, and that was a six-year-long expansion, uh, per annum uh, investment growth was 4.1%. And if you look at investment in R&D and intellectual property, which is, you know, the, the most risky stuff with long payoff, uh, pay, payoffs, uh, and you think people, if their business are really scared to be pulling back on that, you don't see it. So, yeah, I, they're nervous. There's no doubt. Uh, but they're not nervous enough to say, you know, I'm going to pull back here, uh, at least not yet. What about the uh, the idea that um, the stock market's problems are going to have a wealth impact on spending, and that could push us towards recession? Yeah, that's. I worry about that. Uh, you know, we've done some recent research that uh, indicates that the stock wealth effect is large by historical standards. Uh, you know, historically, the stock wealth effect is about two, three cents. So every dollar decline in stock prices would reduce consumer spending ultimately by two, three cents. So that doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, just to give you a sense of it, a 10% decline in stock values, which is roughly what we've experienced here, peak to current, 
is about $2 trillion in wealth. So that adds up to real money. But if the wealth effect is by six cents, and my research suggests that it might have gotten that high, then the damage will uh, will be greater. And, you know, that and that goes right to the heart of my thesis, you know, that the American mm-hmm. consumer is going to keep spending. So that's the key thing I worry about here, at least in the very near term, you know, what the damage is going to be created by this financial turmoil. In, in the last minute that we've got with you, Mark Sandy, help me with the Fed. Mike, I think we've been – it's important to understand with a meeting, March 16, how Fed-free we've been in conversation in research this morning. What will you listen for from Fed officials, Mark Sandy? Well, you know, uh, it, we're coming into full employment, check. Uh, uh, actual inflation is actually picking up. Core inflation is picking up, check. We're not. We're still below target, but we're moving towards target. I think the key thing really will be, uh, you know, obviously what damage will this financial tr- terminal do, But and, and I think they'll be focused on unemployment insurance claims and labor market data to, to, uh, to focus on that. But the, the real thing I think they're now focused on is on inflation expectations. That feels really soft. And that continues to be the case. I, I don't see they're just that's you know they're not going to be able to check that mm-hmm. box and they won't tighten monetary policy. What's your forecast for inflation? We have seen a, a you know definitely moving up uh, of core rates. It's going to pick up. I mean, if, you, if my script roughly holds together, because the labor market's tightening, we're going to get wage growth, and then you layer on top of that a very tight housing market. Vacancy rates are at 30-year lows, and we're getting very strong rent growth. And, and healthcare costs are going to pick up because it's very labor-intensive, and as wage costs rise, uh, healthcare costs will rise. And the effects of Obamacare are going to start to fade a bit. So everything is adding up for inflation, getting core inflation getting back to target over the next year, 18 months, and then and something beyond that. Mark Sandy, thank you so much uh, with Moody's. Mike, the speaker starting with February 22 today. Potter, Fisher, Kaplan, Bullard on the 24th in New York City, Lockhart, Williams, Powell, Brainerd, and finally uh, Stanley Fisher, March 7, before we descend into quiet. There will be a lot of uh, opinions expressed um, Yeah, what is going to happen. And we have a pretty good idea of where a lot of people f- sit at the moment. And uh, it is not unrealistic to expect the Fed to do nothing on the 16th. He played 20 minutes, 28 seconds of hockey. That's a lot for anybody. The other night, he is 44. 44. Well, he's down in Florida where you can, I know you're talking about. If if you say so, I would note. We can retire. 453 (laughs) second period. Yager from Kulikov, who uh, was born the year Jeremy Yager started playing, and Yusi Jokinen. And then in the third period, Yager from Jokinen. And for those of you that don't know hockey, it's much different when you score when everybody's on the ice versus a power play when the other team has a man in the penalty box. Mr. Yager scored two goals to win the game, five on five. Got to give him credit. Remarkable That's physical remarkable. specimen. It uh, reminds one of uh, Gordy Howe playing yeah. into his 50s. You know, this uh, is maybe the roughest, hardest sport, and yet some of the it's people incredible. who have performed the longest have been in hockey. If he did power play goals, they'd say, okay, they set him up, the big gun in the slot, blah, blah, blah. Two goals, five on five at age 44. Is is I, I don't believe I've ever said that at any time or place. Future's up 22. Dow futures up 192. The yen 113.21, weaker yen today with a little bit. No, nicely stronger dollar, I should say. Another hour of Bloomberg surveillance. You need to be with us. Thank you.